Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I have a super special guest joining us from sunny, beautiful Boston, outside of Boston. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Okay, we are back. Let me bring Julia Becker Collins on. Julia, good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. And we started the I started the relationship off with a lie. It's not beautiful and sunny in Boston right now. <laughs> no, it's not. It's gross. <laughs> it's gross. Kind of like Ohio is right now. Yeah, it's raining and cold, and I think yeah. the end of the gorgeous New England weather, you know, it's really, yeah. it's not fun right now. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Well, Julia, I appreciate you coming on and um, hanging out with me today to tell your story. Um, I started this a couple of years ago or so to help people have a breakthrough in life, to get unstuck, and I think... Um, you know, we've all been there. We've all gotten stuck and not known how to get through it. So, um, and I have a feeling with that beautiful red hair, we're going <laughs> to set the world on fire today. <laughs> I feel like my hair is like, it's like a beacon. Everybody can see me. They recognize me. Um, it's a staple. <laughs> it's part of my brand. Um, that's awesome. And it also just puts a smile on people's faces. So that's always good. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I love it. I think it's beautiful. So thank you. So Julia, let, let's let's start with um, where you were born and raised. It doesn't sound like you were born in Boston. Ba no, ba Boston. I, I can't even say it. <laughs> Boston. 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 Yeah. No, I'm not from here. <laughs> no, okay. my, husband, my husband has a really thick accent. It's adorable. <laughs> It's adorable. Okay. It's adorable. Yeah. No, nice. I'm originally from outside Manhattan. So uh New Jersey, born and raised. Don't a have a New Jersey. Girl. Yeah, I don't have the Jersey accent either. I lost that. You but do. I used to wow. have a very thick Joyzy accent where I went to oh, the mall Lord. and got coffee. It was great. I can still do it. And if you put a couple <laughs> drinks in me, it'll come out. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> Boston. <laughs> yeah. So right. um I lived there until I was 17 and then in Manhattan? No, outside of Manhattan in New Jersey. Um and if oh, anybody okay. Yep. Yeah. And if anybody's from New Jersey, they know we talk about it in counties. So I lived in Morris County. And okay. then I packed up my little 91 Geo Prism and I nice. drove myself cross country to California and I lived in Sonoma County for a while. Um, and I have family out there. So I lived out there and I um, lived up in the Santa Rosa area. And if you ever have lived up there or gone up there, there's something we called the Sonoma aroma. So it smells like cows because it's farming country up there. It's also mm. wine country. Um, and I went to college at uh, Sonoma State. 
which is a really nice, small public school up there. And then I figured out that, you know, I should probably study something when I'm at college. (laughs) And and so I actually started going to classes and figured out that I needed to um, pick a major. And um, while I really enjoyed going to college out there, I uh, decided to transfer to uh, University of Massachusetts at Amherst, which is a much larger school because there was more variety in um, classes, in um, choices. And so I drove myself back cross country. <laughs> wow. And um, I went to UMass Amherst, sight unseen. I had never visited the campus. I was just like, I oh, well, I miss the New England um or the east coast weather i missed the four seasons i'm going back and i wow. got onto campus and i was like what have i gotten myself into here because yeah. i went from a college that was 5000 people with the graduate program to 35000 people with the graduate program wow and yeah and so i went to umass amherst I loved it. It was fantastic. I could tell you all kinds of fantastic things about going to school there. Um, and that's how I ended up in Massachusetts. So I haven't left since. I really love it here. And I like New England. It's really nice. You get all the seasons. Um, and it's it's really a beautiful place to live, I have to say. Is that 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 seems to be the way we rationalize living in this miserable weather? <laughs> But we have all yeah. four seasons. We do. Well, I There's know. jets <laughs> that can fly you from Florida to the seasons. <laughs> I know. I know. My dad, like the good Jewish man that he is, retired to Florida. And yeah. he, uh, you know, keeps wanting the kids to come down there and live down there. And I'm just like, yeah, but the summer is so bad down there. I just, they I have would be a snowboarder. You dive in and cool off. I know there's a pool. You jump into the pool. We have yeah. air conditioning. I know. Right. I know. <laughs> uh, I know. A, I know. I keep telling my wife I am over the Ohio. I it's not we're not far from from saying, you know, we're out of here. I'm 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 getting out of the state event uh, very soon. I, I can't I, I can't take the winners anymore. I just ugh. I think I have it's not even the winter I think I struggle with. I think it's more this weather, the like bone cold rain where it's, yeah. you know, that's yeah. where I struggle more than like it's if miserable. it's going to snow, it's pretty. And it's like, you can look outside, you have a cup of hot cocoa and you sit by yes. the fire. That's very Norman, pretty here. Norman Rockwell. Stuff. Very. Oh, it's very <laughs> Norman Rockwell here. Yeah. Cause we're kind of out in the woods and there's like farms out here yeah. and yeah. it's beautiful in the winter. That's but right awesome. now it's just, but when it's, I wanted to go for a run this morning and I look and I'm like, I'm not right. running in cold <laughs> rain. No, right, I'm not walking right. in it. I'm not doing anything in it. Exactly. I'm a runner Maybe. as well. And so I'm very grateful that I went for my four miles yesterday, not today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm very glad I didn't have a run plan today. <laughs> right, look, Joe says coming to California. I'll tell Newsom you're on the. Way. <laughs> yeah, wow, uh, that has turned into a little bit of a Soviet. Uh... <laughs> it's gotten crazy out there. 
Um, so, so <laughs> Joe, a donut run is not a run. So, <laughs> so Joe, Joe's our, Joe's our show comedian. He's like my it. Ed McMahon. I just keep him, keep him around for that. That's good. <laughs> I love it. So, so, so you grew up in, I mean, I, you know, I've only been to Manhattan one time in oh, really? my entire life. About three years ago, I drove over. It's not bad from here. It's it's about an eight-hour drive. And so I drove over there, and I was like, you know, this is incredible. I told the story the other day that I I was uh, – my wife's, my wife's traveled all over the world, so she's been in New York many, many, many times for fashion shows and whatnot. Yep. And, and so um, – so I I'd never been there. I'd only flown into JFK and LaGuardia for layovers, right? And so I'm I'm, I'm driving into Manhattan. I'm on 34th Street. I'm like, oh my God. And I like FaceTime my wife. I'm like, it's Macy's. And they had the Christmas stuff up. It was like late November. And I'm like, and I'm like FaceTiming, showing her and my little girl. Right. And I, all of a sudden I hear this whistle, really loud whistle. And it's a traffic cop that I'm all, I'm getting ready to slam into. Right. And right. Yeah. She, she looked at me, um, like I had a third eye anyway. So yeah, that's my, that's my only Manhattan story. So it was, it was, it's amazing though. The energy is just, I it's, thought it if, was incredible. If you've never been there, it's a real experience. I grew up, you know, I grew up in the eighties. So yeah. The, you know, kids could do anything, right? Yeah, like right. <laughs> you can't do any of the things we used to do. But no. I used to, I used to get on a bus from the town I grew up in by myself, probably at like 13 years old, and take it by myself into Manhattan and wander around Manhattan. And this is pre Giuliani cleaning up the city, so it was yeah. you know gross and dirty and prostitutes and drugs and I mean nobody cared because. It was, we just live right there and that's what we did. And so I used to go to the city all the time. So I grew up in Manhattan. So easy for me. It's so easy to like navigate. It's a grid. It all makes sense. So it doesn't really doesn't phase me, but my husband had never been to Manhattan ever in his whole life. And I remember yeah. the first time I took him, he just was walking around like this the whole time. <laughs> right. It's all just staring. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, that's what it's like to be a tourist here. I didn't, yeah. I've never been a tourist in Manhattan. So, and yeah. I've never been a tourist in San Francisco because I lived out there and I've never been a tourist in Boston because I live here. And it's, you know, you kind of right. forget that there's these amazing things because you just yeah, see it every first, day. The first time, I mean, the first time I've never been to San Francisco, but like the first time you go anywhere, I was in yeah. San Diego for the first time last year and I was like, Oh my God. No wonder everybody lives out here. It's mm -hmm. beautiful. But, oh, it is. and, and you do, you, you, you like, it's impossible. Even if you're like moving there, like it's impossible to like the first time you see it is like, wow. Right. I, and I, my old, my old car didn't have a sunroof. So I'm, I'm, I'm leaning right, your forward. Your head's out the window. <laughs> <laughs> like, what a nut right. job. Right. Yeah. But, but anyway, so, um, so you grew up there, you went to school and high school and all that. And there's mm -hmm. my buddy, Dennis is joining us from China wow. all the way in, over in China. Yeah. And it's back to normal there. Did you know that? It's like literally back to normal in China. Mm -hmm. Like there's no lockdowns, nothing. They're just mm -hmm. 
partying like usual. But anyway, so um, so you what was it like? I mean, because you were in Jersey. How far is that from like Manhattan? Um, I How think if memory serves, I think it was like a forty-five minute bus ride. Because again, I took the bus all the time. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so under an hour. Yeah. So maybe as far as I am from Boston now, it's not that far. So could you see the city from where you were? Yes. So yeah. our town, it was a very small town and there was um, a train station that went through the town and it would go direct into Manhattan. And um, if you were at a high enough point, um, you could see Manhattan, you could see the skyline. Um, yeah. And it was just very normal to go into the city all the time. My grandparents lived in Brooklyn and we were there every week. So, wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, and you got, and you said after high school is when you decided to pack up and move to California. Yeah. I had, um, you know, a difficult home life. So I mm. got myself out of there and I went across the country um, by yourself. Yep. And so I got myself, um, into a better situation and I, you know, it was much better for me. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so you get out there, you go to college there, you said there's 5,000 people on campus. That was it. It was something like that. It was about 5,000, including graduate students. It's a small, oh um public college in California. It's a great school. It's just yeah. small. Yeah. So um so talk about some of the challenges you faced though. I mean it sounds like um sounds like growing up may have had some challenges. Mm -hmm. Um and then you'd move across the country, which is huge for what 18, 19 years old. I was 17. So my birthday's late. So I was 17 when I <laughs> So, and then it's a whole thing because you have to have your parents sign your paperwork for college wow. when you, uh, if you go to college and you start before you're 18, you have to have a parent sign your paperwork. Yeah. And so that was challenging. And then I feel like at 17, 18, you don't know anything. You think you know everything, but you know nothing. Yeah. And so, right. you know, that's challenging. Um, the financial side of it was very challenging. I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but you know, you don't, you know, I worked jobs when I was in high school, but you don't have a lot of money saved. Um, yeah. And trying to figure out the FAFSA forms and figure out loans when you're 17, 18 years old, you don't really understand any of that. And I'm the grandchild of immigrants. And so nobody in my family knew how to do financial aid forms. So wow. nobody knew how to help me figure any of that out. So it's just kind of a, I feel like I'm a product of like, throw it at the wall and see what sticks, which is, that's okay. Like, you know, mm -hmm. you kind of figure it out. And um, I think a lot of my determination and a lot of my, you know, grit comes from just having to make it work. You know, nothing was handed to me, nothing was easy. And it was kind of, you know, you really have to struggle. And, you know, I don't think that's great. I don't recommend it, but it, it definitely gives me a drive to, um, push through things and persevere because, you know, I was determined to get into a better situation and to get an education. And I didn't really know anything about FAFSA forms and I didn't really know anything about how to 
um, deal with a bursar's office or, you know, really choose a college other than, you know, the geography of it, but I just made it work. I literally chose Sonoma State because of it was geography, you know, geographically located close to my aunt. And I was mm. like, great, I'll have a support network. I'm going to go there. It seems like it's priced lower than other colleges. I am sure that is not how most people chose colleges, but that's how I chose my college because it, you know, strategically worked for my, you know, needs. You know, you think your hierarchy of needs, I had basic human needs I needed to meet. So right. um, that's what I needed to do. And then I realized, okay, I've hit a point where I've kind of figured out the FAFSA enough and I figured out, you know, working the system enough and um, I can, let's figure out transferring to a school that has a better program for me so that I can get the most out of this if I'm going to take these loans out. Yeah. And um, I felt like I probably spent about two years out there figuring out how to like be an adult, have a checking right. account, pay bills, you know, the things, the soft skills that you don't learn in high school. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and so I just, figured it out. I don't have a better way of explaining that. Right. And um, I got myself into a different school and I transferred and there's nothing quite like getting dumped in the middle of 35,000 kids and um, not knowing anyone. Cause when you transfer, there's no orientation. They just plunk you in the middle of a school and say, good luck. Here you go. But that, but, well, that that was <laughs> you. You made that decision, though, yes. right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and, and you, so here you are living in California at a very young age, mm -hmm. um, on your own, paying mm -hmm. your own bills, all of that. Mm -hmm. Seventeen, eighteen years old, and and you decide to move back across the country. Mm -hmm. Can you hear yep. me? I think you're you're. Yes, I can. I can hear you. Okay. Um, and sorry, and I paused. I was listening. <laughs> it, okay. No, no, no. Your internet got a little choppy there. So that's all. Sorry um, about that. So you decide, you decide to move back across the country after a couple of years in California. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, um, by yourself still. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, um, I mean, that's an, I can't, I have a 14 and a half year old daughter that, She's not far from that age. I can't imagine her going, hey, dad, I'm moving to California. Right. Yeah. I, I I'd be like, when monkeys fly out your rear end, no <laughs> way. I think I just needed, I don't know. I mean, it was a long time ago, but it yeah. was, you know, I needed to get out of the situation I was in. So yeah. Yeah. it was a good, you know, it's a safe way to do that because I had family out there. So yeah, yeah. So, um, so you move to Boston, is it Boston? So UMass Amherst is in the Western part of the state. So it's out, um, out West. So it's oh. Amherst. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and you get a degree. Yep. I got my bachelor's degree at UMass Amherst. Um, a mm -hmm. bachelor uh, major women's studies and a minor in art history to, two departments that they will, everybody always tells you, you're never going to be able to get a job from having those <laughs> right. majors, the minors. I almost had a double major in art history and women's studies. I ended up with a major and a minor. I think I was like one or two classes shy of wow. a double major. And I'm here to tell you, you can turn anything into an actual career because it doesn't matter. 
you know, they taught yeah. me critical thinking and writing and, um, you know, how to work for yourself and navigate a system and how right. to um, create a concrete argument, do research, um, analytical thought and analysis. And I think that people look at liberal arts majors sometimes as, you know, these soft skills that aren't going to necessarily serve you in a career, which is just not the case. You just have to figure out how it's going to serve you. Um, I've had many interns work for me over the years, and they were maybe marketing majors. And they think that because they're a marketing major, they have to go straight into a marketing career. But if that's not what you want to do, a marketing major is going to serve you in finance, sports management, event planning, whatever you want it to serve you in. You should find something that you enjoy and figure out your transferable skills. And that's what I did. Um, I really enjoyed, you know, the critical thought and analysis and, um, you know, learning how to defend your point. Um, so. And, and, and I, I, I agree with you. Um, you could also take a different route like I did and, and move out at 17 and because you need to get out of the situation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when your high school guidance counselor in 12th grade says, Hey, you didn't get a biology credit in 10th grade. And, and I said, well, yeah, that class sucked and <laughs> I'm never going to use that in real life. So give me the piece of paper so we can move on from all this. And, and they refused. And so I said, well, then piss off. And I walked out of high school, never went back and never went to college and made millions of dollars. So like I support that. I do. Yeah, I, mean, I, I really do because it's just I have to tell you like school is really hard for me. It was very very difficult for me. College was really really difficult for me and I really, yeah. you know, I would be up late late night trying to really figure out how to get myself through college, not only pay for it but like get yeah. a good grade and I am just not somebody that is built for the way that high school or college is taught, but I knew, you know, I'm so many years in, I decided to stay with it. But I have to say that, like, I really resonate with what you said about high school, because I, I am convinced that the reason I graduated high school is because the school just couldn't deal with me. And so they kept (laughs) pushing me forward. Uh, Ninth grade doesn't want to deal with her. So we're going to put her in 10th grade. 10th yeah. grade, we don't know what to do with her. We're going to put her into junior year. I just, because yeah. I had, I remember I had a teacher, I think it was a history teacher. And he said during like the parent teacher conference, he was like, she is going to amount to nothing. And don't you I just want to go back. It's really amazing. It's just yeah. really, that's yeah, how awesome. is that helpful to anyone? Right. So, you know, I just don't learn in that conventional sense. So, well, and I but that's think, okay. You know, I, I can remember there's a, a lot of teachers that I had that had a um, a God com- God complex. They thought they were all that. And as Dr. Evil would say, all that and a bag of potato chips. And, <laughs> and, and, and they, they, they weren't. And here's Doug Wing. I, I, I don't want to like give his financials, but trust me, Doug exactly. is doing better than... 99.99% of the world. So, and, and he was told he was dumb by a teacher and that, so I think that th- this is an interesting little topic we could discuss because I think, um, you know, I've interviewed interns as well. 
And, and my wife, my wife is a college graduate. She went to a, co a private college. She's been, you know, global VP of marketing for two mm -hmm. different 500 million plus companies. And, and she's very, very, she's, she, she can talk marketing stuff. That's I'm like, could you please come back down here to my level? And, and uh, <laughs> like, she's way over my head with some of it. <laughs> you know, right? And and you know, help me with my critical thinking for the love of God. Right. And and so, you know, I think though that like I, I remember interviewing this kid. He was going into his senior year. He was on uh, the summer break or whatever in in between. And and he had to have an internship with a marketing company to graduate. Like he right. he had to have it. It was a requirement. And yes. I said, cool, man, what are we talking like a free internship? What are we? He, oh, no, no, no. It has to be paid. And I go, okay, mm -hmm. like minimum wage. He, well, I, no, I was thinking like 20. I said 20,000? Right. For the summer? For me to teach you something? Are you out right. of your freaking mind? He goes, no, no, not 20,000, $20 an hour. I said, get out of my office now. <laughs> get out. He goes, what? And I go, get, dude, go. Like, I, I'm not paying 20. There's people that have been here three years that don't make $20 an hour. Get out of my office, dude, for real. And and he's like, I, well, I made 16 at the last place. And I, I don't want to hear anymore. Get out. Like, right. And so, like, from my perspective, Julia, and I don't know if, the, if you have the same take on this. I, I'm curious to hear your take, though. But from my perspective, it's like, dude, earn your freaking way in life. Like, do something right. first before you start asking. And 20 bucks an hour is not big bucks. I realize that. But right. you're learning. Like, right. do something first. Do you agree with that? I think it's hard. Like, if I, I think if I had um, an internship program at a big company, right? So we're a small company, right? And I don't want to figure that it weren't right. So we're under ten people. So if right. you're a small company, I think you had you obviously are running a different set of resources and a different budget than right. a very large company. My husband works for a very, very, very large company. They pay yeah. their interns. I think that's great. Yeah. Um, right. We are a very small company. We are very upfront about that. We don't pay our interns. Obviously, there are different laws that regulate all of these things and you have to work within the law. My feeling is that you have to, if you don't pay, and obviously you're working within the law of that, you have to be incredibly transparent about that you don't yeah. pay so that you're setting the expectations correctly and that you're pairing yourself with an intern that is okay with that because otherwise you have a whole big, messy set of expectations and feelings about money. But, right. you know, yes, they're learning, but also I feel like it should be a good exchange of information, right? Like I'm yeah. teaching you, but you're also providing value to the company. And when you're providing value to the company, you're learning, right? It's a, it should be a cyclical situation. It should be that we are spending time up front with you teaching yeah. you and then on the back end you're providing value and that I'm setting the expectation about how much time it's going to take how much work you're going to need to put in and what the expectations of work are so that uh, everybody has a great experience and that you come out the other side and say oh my god this was amazing it was totally worth the summer or the semester um 
and that I can have a portfolio of work or I have a recommendation, et cetera. Actually, I had an intern reach out to me yesterday that uh, worked for me seven years ago. I've been running internship programs for more than 10 years. And I had an intern reach out to me wow. yesterday out of the clear blue sky, not prompted. She reached out to me and said that the work she did for me seven years ago and working for me directly completely shaped her career and that she would not be the person she is today. She wouldn't have the career she has today. And she wouldn't have made the choices she had made in her career if she hadn't worked for me and had the guidance that I had provided. So I think there's just a lot more that we can be providing for internship programs than a salary. Yeah. We need to be providing value in feedback and in guidance because these, you know, these students, whether they're college graduates or, you know, graduate uh, level uh, interns want to learn, but they need to show up be, and be ready to work. Yeah. So, I, you know, it really has to be that symbi symbiotic relationship. Well, and I, I've just, I've, I've always made my own way in life and, mm -hmm. and no matter what, like right. nothing's going to stop me. I'm, I'm just going to keep plowing forward. And, and, you know, with, with a business, you know, I had 10 employees and, 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 you know, it's like, I, I don't, I don't understand. I just can't personally relate to, you know, you want to come in and I, I had another kid that, that came in and, and he was delivering pizzas for a local pizza company. And he saw me on a, a TV network and, and he's like, Oh my God, like, you, you know, Grant Cardone. And I'm like, yeah. And, 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 mm -hmm. and you know, and, and he's like, I want to work for you. I'll do anything. I said, dude, I'm not hiring. He said, I'll work for free. Right. I said, well, maybe I am hiring. What, what can you do? And he's like, I'll do, I'll clean the bathrooms, anything I can do to be here and learn from you. Right. And I'm like, wow, now that's refreshing. That was my attitude. That's always been like, give value exactly. first. And then, you know, you know, and, and, and again, I think that, that that's a fundamental problem with a lot of businesses as well is they've forgotten to provide value to their Great. clients first and then you know I, and and so um anyway uh, we could go down a dark dark hole probably with all that but i i just think that it's interesting that you know i we we need to have a shift in 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 this world with with some of that i i just truly believe that so um but anyway so uh, julia you so you um you you get out of college you graduate you've got this in, these incredible degrees and 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 everything going on. What did you do after that? What came next? So I um, actually ended up being a. I needed a job, right? Like yeah. <laughs> any twenty-two yeah. year old, I needed a job. So right. I ended up getting a job as a property manager for a low-income uh, apartment complex, which is. Um, not something that I went to college for, but I had been an RA in college. And so I actually, during the um, uh, interview process, I remember them saying to me, well, if you can handle, you know, college kids at UMass Amherst, then you can handle this entire 
uh, apartment complex, which was not that far off, I have to say. Um, drunken wow. college kids were more difficult. Um, but the real challenge there was, you know, I'm 22 years old and I'm being put into a management position with no management training whatsoever. And I'm managing people that are 50 years old, 60 years old. And so not only does that create a strange power dynamic, the company didn't give me any training as to how to be a leader, how to be a manager. And, you know, there's a certain part of this where there is an intrinsic skill set that some people have of being better at leadership, but right. you also need to learn how to manage people. <laughs> and at 22 years old, I don't know many 22 year olds that know how to manage people. And I definitely right. did not. So I think I did the best I could, but it was a great learning experience in terms of learning what not to do and yeah. learning how I could do things better. Um, some experiences were fantastic and some were really bad. And that's where I realized like, oh, this is a skill I'm, I would like to learn more about. I would like to get better at this. Like I could genuinely enjoy running large teams of people. Um, being in people management in general, um, being in leadership long term. I enjoy that. I don't necessarily enjoy running a low income property, um, right. but I like I like helping people be the best version of themselves at work. Um, right, right. So that was definitely my first experience at that. And then from there, I actually I went to law school, um, which what? was terrible, I have to say. Yeah, I went to law school. And then you, I hate, you hated school, <laughs> but you kept going back. Yes. So I was determined. I'm just like, I'm like a dog with a bone. I'm like, I want this thing. So I'm going to get this thing, even if I'm bad at this thing. So I went and I was really, so I'm really good with logic, right? I'm really yeah. good at things that are black and white, if they make sense. And a lot of the law is very like black and white logic, like a logic yeah. train. So I'm great at that. But then there's parts of the law that are very gray and theoretical, and I am not good at that. And so I got to law school and I realized that law school has nothing to do with actually being a lawyer. And it only has to do with law school and passing the bar exam. And I am not about that. I'm not spending three years and $300,000 of debt to just try to pass an exam, maybe. So I left. Yeah. <laughs> wow. How, yeah. How long did you go? I went for a year. So, oh, okay. yeah. And I was like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done with this. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. And but so you still then, accumulated debt. Oh, yeah. Oh, my yes. God. Yeah. Wow. I joke around with my husband that um, he's going to be paying off my my school loans after I'm dead. So, because between college, law school, and then not to, you know, preview things too much, but then I went to graduate school. So I just, yeah, I'm going to have wow. school debt for forever. So, so, so <laughs> you, you dropped out of, and how old were you when you went to law school? 24, something like okay. that. Young. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you drop out of law school and then what, what, what happened next? Well, I needed a job. <laughs> there's uh, uh, and there's a, a theme here. I know <laughs> there's this thing where you have to be self-sufficient yeah. uh, and I also needed a place to live because I had, yeah. you know, I had moved for law school and I had gotten yeah. this apartment and this whole thing. And then now I'm suddenly like, oh, I need a place to live and I need a job. Um, so I ended up, I think I got an administrative assistant job for a couple of months and I got another temp job and 
you know, kind of like what you said, it's like you kind of gum and tape things together to pay your bills and you do what you have to do to make it work for a while. And that's okay. There was no like, I'm going to have this big career. It's I got to pay my bills and that's what I have to do. And I did that until I literally answered an ad um, back when there were job ads in the Boston Globe. I answered a job ad in the Boston Globe for Mm -hmm. um, an event manager position at a nonprofit in Boston. And uh, I went through this really lengthy interview process at this big nonprofit. And um, they ended up hiring me, which I remember being flabbergasted by because I really did not meet the qualifications they were looking for. I think they were asking for somebody with like five to seven years of event planning experience. And I had like six months of event planning experience in college doing, you know, extracurricular um, events. But it's just an example of you should apply for everything it doesn't matter if your resume lines up with what they're looking for. So right. I just applied and I made the case that, you know, I had transferable skills and I was the right person for the job, et cetera. And they really resonated with that. And um, I interview really, really well and they loved it. And so they hired me. I was there for more than five years. Um, and I took the department that I was at which um, was really having a lot of difficulties. They were in the red. They weren't making any money. The woman who had been in the position previously had actually been fired because wow. she was saying that she it was too much work and she wasn't bringing in any money. And she um, said that it was too big of a job for one person. And she insisted that she needed an assistant. And I came in and she had had years of experience doing events. Mm. And I came in no experience, really very minimal experience doing events. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm talking about college, you know, extracurricular events. I came in and in five years, I took it from being in the red to being in the black to being able to fund two other departments. And I created an entire marketing plan. I created, you know, package deals to be able to rent additional space. I um, was funding, like vastly funding the nonprofit. So I really was able to transform an entire department. And in those five years, I was like, oh, this is great. I really enjoy taking a problem in a company that is like chaos and making it work. And that's something I really enjoy. And I was also leading teams of people. I was leading large and small projects. I was taking leadership roles in different areas. They were giving me a big breadth and depth of... um, places to take on new and different roles. And it was really fantastic. But then I really just hit a ceiling in the job and they weren't going to let me move up any further, make any more money or go anywhere else. And I just, you know, I felt very um, stalled. Yeah. Excuse me. Bye. So it was a great, great position. And it really helped me figure out like, oh, this is what I'm very good at. And this is what I really enjoy. Um, So while I was there, that's when I went to graduate school. I went at night. And actually, I have to say that like getting a business degree, getting a master's in business was one of the best things I've done because not only was it um, helpful in that I was able to do more experiential learning. So it's small groups. We're discussing real things. Um, I don't, I can't speak for all business degrees, but you know, the program I was in was we would talk about real things that happened at work that day. And then you can right. take what we discussed and go into work the next day and implement it. 
And that was incredibly helpful, um, yeah. especially if you're really, you know, dealing with a lot of leadership management things that yeah. I feel like that degree was one of the most helpful things I've ever done because it was able to take my skills as a project manager, as a people manager, and just catapult them forward and just yeah. make me a much better leader, a much better manager. And it was, it was great. So um, that's where yeah. I went from there. And then I got much more into uh, leadership and leading teams of people after that. You know, I've, I, I, I've always been, I can remember many, many, many years ago um, looking for a job and filling out applications and creating a resume that had nothing literally like nothing on it right. and and um and and then you know i was like this is bull crap i i don't i don't like i don't like this like you send it in to some anonymous person that will look at it and and stamp it one way or the other <laughs> and it's like no right. the, there's got to be a better way so um, I, I just said, you know, if I want a job, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to find a, an industry that I, I can love and I'm going to find the leading company or the, the second or third company in that industry and walk in and say, mm -hmm. I want a job here and I'm, I want to be a manager and I want to, and you know, like, but that's, that's me. And I'm, you know, most people probably aren't like that really. Like, you know, right. I'm just going to go kick in the front door and say, I'm here. Let's make it happen. You know? So <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, right. People aren't like that, but you know, if, if, if you want some, I, and it sounds like you're like that, like if you want something, um, although you probably follow the rules a little better than I did, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but but when you want something, you you're like, I'm I'm just gonna yes. go get it. Yes, absolutely. I would agree it. with that. Yes. Yeah. Once I've made my once I've made up my mind, that's it. My husband yeah. says that I'm the most determined person he's ever met. You know, I'll just decide to do something. When I decided to switch from nonprofit marketing to corporate marketing, when I yeah. decided to get into executive leadership, when I decided to start long distance running, I had never been athletic in my whole life. You know, all of these kind of large scale decisions, life changing yeah. decisions, you know, moving myself cross country. It's just like flipping a switch. I just yeah. make the decision. I'm a very fast decision maker. And then that's it. We're going to set yep. the plan of motion. We're going to create the task list. And then that's it. Nothing is deterring me. I don't, you know, right. I don't see, I can see the obstacles, but I don't see that they're insurmountable. It's just, right. you know, what else do I need to do to make it happen? Right. So, and I, and I Love hear what that. you're saying about just like kicking in the door, because if I want to work at a specific company, then I'm just going to go figure out how to work for that company. Right. Not, like if I, I wanted to work, if, if I wanted to work with your company and, 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 you know, I know Laura and I know you, and I'd just be like, Hey, um, I'm on my way over to Baston to chat with you. <laughs> what are exactly. we talking about, Ken? I'm buying you yeah. lunch and we're just going to talk about opportunities in the marketplace. I, exactly. I you know, I don't know. Like, I, I, I just, I think that, that people need to learn how to become that self-reliant. Even if you're working yes. for a company, you still own your own business because you are the business. Yes. 
I would agree with that. Yes. I think anyway. it's just, you know, it's, I think you really need to figure out how to advocate for yourself at any stage in your career, really. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's very important. I agree. It is. I agree. So, so, um, I cannot believe we've already been on here 43 minutes. That's <laughs> insane. That's crazy. Um, that went, that, it seems like we just got started. I so, know. So talk about along the way. Um, you know, I know, I know that you've, um, you've done a lot of amazing things. Um, talk about what you're doing now. Yeah. So I'm the chief operating officer for Vision Advertising. We are a 100% woman-owned, woman-run, full-service marketing agency. Um, our East Coast office is based outside of Boston in the Metro West area. Um, we have a West Coast office as well uh, in Portland, Oregon. Um, and we are excited to be working with clients for the past 21 years, which is amazing. Um, we work with clients in professional services. Um, we are basically their outsourced marketing department. They hire us when they want a real full marketing experience to come in and help their company um, do all the marketing needed to um, bring in more business for them. Usually we're brought in rather than having them hire internally because it's such a cost savings. It's a higher ROI rather than hiring somebody at say $50,000 a year and you're going to have to train them. And then there's the payroll taxes and, you know, the benefits, et cetera, you bring us in and, um, there's no learning curve. We're all experts at what we do. Um, you save money because you don't have to pay the payroll taxes and you don't have to pay the benefits. Right. And, you know, we pick things up much faster because we're not 22 years old. Uh, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> right. Wow. And you get a team of no people. offense to 22 year olds. No, no, not at all. It's just, you know, it's a different learning curve. So, sure you know, the people on my team are really fantastic. Um, they're very, I don't have marketing generalists. We all have, we're all experts at what you do, we do because you don't want the person that develops your website and codes your website to also be taking photos. Those are very different things and they're yeah. very different parts of your brain. So I have yeah. different people on the team that do different things um, and they're really amazing. Um, so that's my professional role. Um, I've been with the company for four years. Um, it's a fantastic company um, and we're really proud to work with an amazing swath of different clients. Um, and, you know, with the pandemic and with um, everything that the country is going through, we've been creating really amazing free um, resources for small businesses, um, including um, this new product called Vision University, which I know, uh, Ken, you were a part of our success series, which is fantastic. Um, it's a free series of videos for small business owners to um, be able to have access to some resources um, and be able to um, hear from experts in the field um, yeah. and hear amazing interviews. So that is all available. Um, and then we have some very low price point um, marketing resources as well, because we really want to lower, um, the boundary and create a easier entry point for small businesses. Um, yep. Jill, it's vision university. <laughs> that's, that's, and, that's um, my wife. That's my wife there. Oh, and Charles, Charles, says, 
What type of marketing budget should a company have to employ your company? That is a great question. And I am going to answer with the answer that nobody wants to hear. It depends. <laughs> yeah. It depends I we've, on... We've, I've done website, website development for 26 years. And, and I love it when people are like, how much is a website? Right, right, right. Uh, exactly. And I'm just like, <laughs> it really, it depends on like, it depends on your budget. It depends on your goals. It depends on your resources. It depends on um, what you want to accomplish and who yeah. you're trying to reach. Right. Yeah. So that we are not, we are not cookie cutter. We are not put plug and play whatsoever. Um, our, every client we work with has a specialized, personalized marketing plan based on their needs, their budget, and their goals. There is no one answer to what works. We create it personalized and specialized for every client. So I think that's a fantastic yeah. question. It's just there's no one answer because one company is going to want to spend $100,000 because that's going to meet their needs and their budget and their goals, whereas another company is going to spend $25,000 annually with us and that's going to meet their needs and their budget and their goals. And right. so we really do sit down with each company well, it used to be in person, but now it's, you know, video chat and that's totally yeah. fine. And yeah. we really create those custom plans for you because it needs to be what works for you. Well, so let's, let's, um, let's, let's talk about, because I happen to have some insider information. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about some of the, um, biggest challenges you've faced personally in, in your career and life. Let's do it. <laughs> we only have 10 more minutes or so. So let's, let's, let's talk about um, some of the challenges you've faced. I mean, this, you know, this, this show is called breakthrough walls and so far you've made it all sound really easy and simple. <laughs> well, I would say that the biggest challenge these days, so I actually have cancer so I, um, at the beginning of the COVID crisis, uh, went through a very long process of um, not only trying to secure the financial future of vision advertising, uh, applying for the PPP, transitioning the company from an office to work from home, to making sure that my, you know, my staff is, you know, had what they needed, helping my clients, et cetera, et cetera, and probably working more hours than I've ever worked in my entire professional career. I was also going through a very difficult process of personally um, trying to get the testing done in order to be diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Um, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts was basically shut down completely um, because we were such a hot spot. And so I was um, really stuck between a rock and a hard place where I had gotten some testing done but not all of the testing done. So it was not conclusive. Um, I had had a ultrasound, but I hadn't had the biopsy done. So I spent about four weeks um, at the beginning of the COVID crisis, kind of running around like a chicken with my head cut off, um, trying to figure out how to get a biopsy done um, so that I could figure out if I had cancer or if I just had a benign mass in my throat. Um, and at the same time running the company. Um, and so I spent many, many hours on the phone. I have a cousin in Colorado who's an oncologist and he really was a lifesaver. And he spent so much time with me explaining how hospitals work 
how to transfer my records, how to find a new doctor, move from a hospital system um, that was really being hit very hard by the COVID crisis to a different hospital system, et cetera. Kind of the you know bureaucracy of all of that. And yeah. as somebody that's very type A and very logic-based, it's very helpful for me to understand all of those things. Um, and it was, I was able to kind of switch everything over to a different hospital system, um, started working with an endocrinologist because it's a thyroid problem. Um, and I had a telehealth appointment. She looked at all of my tests and so did my cousin. Um, and they said I had a 98% chance that it was benign and it was just an annoying mass. They sent me for a biopsy and it came back as cancer. Um, and, but mm -hmm. because the entire state was shut down, um, they couldn't even do the surgery and the way that cancer thyroid cancer works, the way the protocol is, is you start with surgery and you do further treatment from there. Wow. So I couldn't go for radiation or anything until they did the surgery. So then I'm, you know, running around, well, living my yeah. life, knowing yeah. I have cancer and can't get treatment and I can't go anywhere because I'm such high risk. So I have asthma and an autoimmune disorder and cancer in the middle Jeez. of a global pandemic. <laughs> Right. Wow. And so then it's, do I get on a plane and risk getting on a plane to travel to a different state to get the surgery? It was a very, very stressful time. Um, it ended up that Massachusetts opened up for surgeries and I was the first surgery the first day at, at um, Massachusetts General Hospital. Um, so I took a three-month medical leave from the company and I, um, I had surgery. I had my entire thyroid removed. I, I had a three centimeter mass on the left side of my thyroid and it had spread to the right side of my thyroid. And then when I had surgery, they found that it actually had spread further. Um, it spread to my lymph nodes. So I actually still have cancer. Um, wow. so the pathology came back and showed that it was a more aggressive form than they originally anticipated. Um, so I had radiation, which is awful. I'm not going to sugarcoat that for you. Radiation is terrible. Yeah. Um, and so I went through radiation in July, um, and I'm still recovering from that. And then I go for some new scans. So then I went for new scans and they found a new mass in my throat and, um, but they could tell that I got hit by the radiation. So now it's just a wait and see to see if it shrinks or if it grows and then we make treatment decisions from there. So I'm going to go for new scans in a few weeks. And then we'll know, do I have surgery again? Do we wait and see some more? What do we do? Yeah. So it's definitely a case of, you know, some added stress. And then your body feels wrong. Yeah. It just, my body feels different. It feels wrong. I mean, I'm a very athletic person. I'm a very active person. Excuse me. And to, you know, have the additional stress of this illness and this disease and the treatment on my body during a very, obviously a very stressful time, you know, for the company and for the country, it's just been, it's like a layer cake of stress. It's like yeah. COVID, wow. pandemic, economy, the election, <laughs> cancer, yeah. radiation, just like, yeah. yeah. So that's been this year. Um, I also broke my elbow this year just to add a little bit of insult to injury. I was out for awesome. a training run. I know <laughs> I was out for a training run and I broke my elbow. It's been, it's been a year. I'm having a year. So wow. 
Yeah. 2020. I know, but I really, Hey, it'll be nice when 2020 is in hindsight. In all seriousness. (laughs) I mean, but the big thing that I always tell people is that, you know, you gotta have some perspective about things. Um, It's really, cancer is horrible. I don't want to sugarcoat it. It's really, really awful, but it's, I'm trying to take it one day at a time. I've gotten back to long distance running. I'm very slow. I'm probably two minutes per mile slower than I was. And to answer Ernest's question, you know, the de-stress is really definitely running and I'm back to working out. I'm actually marathon training. Um, My marathon was canceled. Um, I was going to do the California International Marathon and go see some family, but obviously everything is canceled this year, which is totally fine. Um, But I've decided I'm just going to run it on my own. I'm just going to run it on the Boston Marathon course by myself in the New England winter. And that's fine. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, so um, I love your determination. You know, I, I told you before we got started that my wife's brother, my brother-in-law has, um, you know, he, he's had, he it started at six, he had leukemia and, and, you know, she was his donor and did a full, bone marrow transplant and, and, um, you know, and he's now 47, I want to say 47. She'll know she'll drop his age in, but, um, and he's been through all, all of that for, you know, many times throughout life. And, and, um, the dude has the most positive outlook on life. It's like, once you've been through all of that, there's everything else is a walk in the park you know? It's, so, yeah, it really yeah, he, gives you a new perspective. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it really, I try to, you know, I used to plan really long term. Now I plan short term, but that's because I'm just trying to take it one challenge at a time. It's like breakfast yeah. is challenging enough these days. So yeah. I'm not trying to really plan past that, but right. it also makes the victories way sweeter. You know, yeah. I used to take so many things for granted and I just don't take any of it for granted anymore. I just, you know, the fact I ran four miles yesterday, it's like, that's the greatest thing that's ever happened. <laughs> like, you know, that, that you gotta, is, you have to appreciate is, all of it. So that is amazing. My wife said, cancer does not define you. That's right. Right. Exactly. It's just a part so of you. Have, have you looked at any of the, um, because my wife is, uh, well, I was introduced to, um, the Dr. Axe keto diet and, um, have you looked at any of that stuff? Um, I haven't looked at that. So I actually have celiac. So I can't do a lot of these different diets. Well, um, this, I this have... is, yeah. I tr- I trust me, I'm very aware of celiac. I've got my <laughs> own issues. But, um, you know, I think that a, a, a friend of mine who went through cancer called me and he was, he's, he, he's a, he's a cop and he, he's always been a little bit on the hefty side, <laughs> a, sh- a shorter guy, but he was always hefty. And he calls me, he goes, dude, you got to get this book. And, and, okay. and, and, and anyway, I, I got, it's like he, this guy, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of stories of people moving over to the keto diet, um, keto plan, whatever it's called. And it's cured them of cancer, like mm. cured, gone. Mm. So um, I don't know. It's, she knows, my wife knows a lot more about it because I got, 
I get so many books. I get books literally every day from people who want to be on the show. I'm my sure. wife's like, you get a package every single day. And I'm like, are you jealous? Like, what? right. You know, right. Like, right. But, um, so I, I haven't read the book, but she's studied the heck out of this. So mm. it looks like there's some really cool stuff, but Julia, you are amazing. I love your energy. Laura said I was going to love you and and I do. I love your energy. <laughs> You're amazing. And and you know, one thing I always ask everybody on the show is um you know, what do you think in your opinion? And fear is always is one of the top answers to this question by the way. What do you think holds people back in life from from experiencing real success and and happiness and joy and freedom and all of that? What do you think holds people back? I think that's a great question. Um, I think that's a, probably a lot of things. Um, I think, well, I think you're asking a couple different things. Success is not necessarily the same as happiness. So um, I would say that, right. you know, it depends on how you define success, but sometimes it has to do with access to things. Um, I know that I'm very privileged to have an incredibly supportive partner. I was able to access education. Um, I was able to get myself into really good situations. Um, I had access to, um, you know, a great workforce, et cetera. Um, and so some of it's access, some of it's luck. Um, I think also it's some sheer determination. Um, Sometimes fear, I think, holds people back. I also think sometimes it depends on your personality type. Um, I spend a lot of time talking about personality types with the people that work for me. Some people are built to be people pleasers, and that's okay. That's a valid personality type. That's not who I am. That doesn't make me bad. That doesn't make me good. That's just not who I am as a person. But I think that people who are people pleasers sometimes struggle with figuring out what they want versus what other people want. Um, and mm. that can be very difficult in terms of finding your own success and your own happiness. Um, and I counsel a lot of people who have worked for me, usually women um, who struggle with that. Um, so that could be a factor. Um, I think fear maybe, but I think fear is um, too simple of an answer because usually yeah. fear is something that's hiding something else. Yeah. Um, I think it could be, um, you know, an adversity to risk. A lot of people are risk adverse and that's also valid. Um, I think a lot of people um, have a lot of worry, which I think is different than fear. So, yeah. um, and I also think maybe it's fear of the unknown, which yeah. I think is more specific. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Love that answer. That's awesome. Thanks. Julia Becker Collins outside of Baston. Me. <laughs> <laughs> you're awesome i i really i really appreciate you coming on and and sharing your story and you know my wife says i'm a researcher so i study a lot she does there's some intriguing information about nutrition mindset and healing there there's all kinds of it out there um yeah. she's right do what resonates with you you know, I um I I thank you. You're in my prayers. You're in all of our prayers and we're going to send you lots of healing energy. You're going to come out of this just fine. I know it. I see it. I feel it. I want you to <laughs> claim it. So, 
Um, Julia, thank you so much for being on today and, and sharing your story and your transparency. Thank you. I appreciate it. And we will see you guys all tomorrow. And thank you to anyone who shared this out and has watched this and, and make sure you go follow Julia. Where's the best place to follow you? Absolutely. So uh, you can find me on Instagram. I'm at Julia Rifka, J-U-L-I-A-R as in Rachel, I-V as in Victor, K-A. You can find Vision Advertising on Instagram. We're at Vision Advertising Rocks because we do. You can also find Vision Advertising at vision-advertising.com. And we're also on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Awesome. Everybody go follow Julia right now and <laughs> we will see you later. Thanks so much, Julia. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Hang with me.